Thanks, Maureen, for uh, sharing those important church life items. And uh, I can't stress enough what Maureen uh, highlighted there about connecting with one another and meeting one another. Uh, I've been telling people this because it's true. In this six-month period of time, I have never met so many people for the first time at church. I want to say every week, probably not every week, but again this morning, a couple of times before church. And uh, uh, the body of Eaglemont is, is in a reshaping time. And that isn't unusual as I speak with other pastors in various churches. And uh, there's exciting days ahead for God's work through us as we build relationships with one another and as we just continue to seek His direction of how ministering His good news message of love and grace in a broken world looks. And He intended us to do that together. And that's a privilege. It's a privilege for Miriam and I to be a part of this church family. I love you. (laughs) Didn't plan to say that, but didn't plan to cry either, but who's saying that ever stopped me, right? Choking up. I'm not crying, just choking up a little. It's okay. Church family um, cares about one another, and many of you know Lana Melanson. Her mom passed away on Friday uh, of cancer, and so we're lifting her up. And maybe there's a need that you have that you brought in with you today, a situation. I want just to pause right now as we prepare our hearts for God's word, and we're going to give those things to God right now. Significant moments. Expressed faith, confidence in God our Savior, whatever it is. Maybe it's on behalf of someone else. If there's a need, I'm going to lead in prayer. We're going to pray together. I want you to raise your hand if there's a need that you want God to intervene on this morning. Just, just hold your hand up as I pray. God knows what it is. Don't be shy. Lord, we look to you again. We look to you our loving Father. And though we don't understand everything that goes on in this broken world or in our individual lives, we know that you're a God who cares and sees the end from the beginning. You care so much about our life and what we face, and you want to be there walking with us, carrying us if we will allow you. And so in this moment, I pray again, we would make the choice to allow you to carry us, to strengthen us, to empower us, to embolden us, to give us your courage. Lord, help faith in our hearts to grow, to be able to trust you each and every day in every situation that's represented by upraised hands or those who did not raise their hand, but you, you see their situation and you care. Remind them of your deep love and your amazing all, uh, wisdom and, and, and uh, ability to bring all that you are into their lives and their situations. May your peace, may your peace, your gift of peace in the midst of the storm, just overshadow and guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And Lord, we do lift up Lana and her family. Comfort them this week. 
and in the weeks to come. May she and her whole family sense your nearness and your comfort in this time of grief. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue to pray for Lana this week and in the days ahead, okay? As Maureen mentioned, next Sunday, I'm excited about the same page focus. And uh, again, not to be too redundant, Maureen mentioned the uh, same page focus is when Sunday mornings and small groups track together and we're using for our small groups some excellent video-driven material uh, by pastor and author Kyle Eidelman that some of you know uh, from Right Now Media. And so thank you, Pastor Joel. Um, wherever you are, I saw you, for your hard work and your vision uh, in, in preparing all that goes in to preparing for us as a church family to be able to have the opportunity to step into small groups, a lot of work and prayer and thought and interaction with people. Thank you for that, uh, Pastor Joel. And for those of you that have stepped forward uh, again, some of you maybe for the first time as small group leaders, I honor you. You're, you're, you're doing shepherding ministry as you just open your home or meet with people in the church in these small groups. And I, I bless you, I pray for you, and I thank you. Um, that is just such a vital part of who we are as a church, as, as you already heard. Today, before we dive into that series, we uh, standalone message. Today, I want us to look at Psalm 119, uh, a disciple's psalm. And this is one of my one of my favorite psalms among, I'll admit, among several uh, psalms. And actually has been ever since God uh, began to stir uh, a growing love for, for his word in my heart, I, I would say in my late teens. Uh, I, I remember reading this psalm um, so many years ago. I encourage you to take 22 days to read through slowly this long psalm. 22 days, eight verses eat, each. You can do this. You don't even have to interrupt your regular Bible reading but you can add this to it. And I encourage you to do that, actually. And, and prayer, take time through this psalm to prayerfully meditate and, and digest these words into the spiritual fabric of your life. It will literally grow your love for God's word. Let me know how that goes, okay? In this well-loved psalm, we see three... Um, Dominant characteristics that I want to draw your attention to this morning. We see passion for the Word of God. We see confidence in the Word of God. And we see obedience to the Word of God. And, and today, my, my prayer and my hope is that each one of us will open our heart to, to grow in these elements related to the Word of God. Jesus loved the Word of God. You know it. And he often referenced the Word of God in his teaching, which for him was the first five books of the Old Testament, of course, at that time. But listen to some important words that Jesus spoke to the religious leaders at that time. In John 5, 39, he kind of challenged them. He said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. You know, it was like, wow, I've got to know the right stuff. They knew God's law. They really did. But there was more. Jesus continued in that verse. He said, but the scriptures point to me. But the scriptures point to me. These words are not an end in themselves. They are intended to draw us to the person and the heart of Jesus Christ. 
That's important to remember because it's in Jesus we are eternally saved. It's, it's growing intimacy with Jesus that God's word is intended to lead us into because it's in him and through him that we receive not only eternal life, but all that we need to live life here and now, right? Once again, these three recurring characteristics related to God's word uh, that, that are intended to draw us closer to Jesus, passion for, confidence in, obedience to the word of God. In Leonard, uh, Leonard Sweet's book, Your Church in Today's Fluid Culture is the title. He writes about the Prince of Grenada, heir to the Spanish uh, crown, who was uh, sentenced to life in solitary confinement in Madrid's ancient prison. And that dirty, uh, dreary uh, prison earned the name the place of the skull. Everyone knew once you were in, you're never getting out alive. The prince was given one book to read. He was given the Bible. And he read it. With only one book to read, he, he read it hundreds of times, we're told. The, the, the book became his companion. And after 33 years of imprisonment, he died. And when they cleaned out his cell, they found some notes etched in the soft stone of the prison walls. Notes like... Psalm 118, verse 8, is the middle verse of the Bible. Ezra, an Old Testament book, Ezra 7, verse 21, contains all the letters of the alphabet except J. Who knew? And I haven't checked that, but... Esther, another book in the Old Testament, Esther 8, verse 9, is the longest verse in the Bible. The man spent 33 years of his life reading the greatest book of all time, reading the book from God about God's way for salvation eternally. And yet from all we know, he never made the commitment of his life to Jesus Christ. It, it seemed that he could, or only wanted to, or only was open to glean facts which is really sad. It appears that he simply became an expert at Bible trivia. What a tragedy. Because this book leads us to the one who is life himself. We know Psalm 119 probably most of all for its length. Like I did as a kid, some of you we're blessed to have family Bible reading and, and, and prayer time. Yeah, I mean, we look back, you know, at our older ages that we are and see that we were blessed to have that. I mean, let's be honest, at the time, it was just hard to sit still, right? I don't know, maybe that was just me. Uh, my dad could comment on that. Uh, and for us, for our family, it was around the table after supper. And I recall us reading through the Psalms at one point. I was, 
I, I was kind of, I was a young kid, but I, I was, you could say, a little bit on edge as we approached Psalm 119, because I was already thinking, ah, oh, man, after supper, we're going to be there till bedtime, and I'm not going to be able to get outside to play or whatever, you know, just these thoughts, right? Psalm 119 is so long. But, but truly, I'm so very grateful that I had role models in my parents who, who loved and honored God's word. And that played a significant role, no question, in the cultivation of my own love for God's word, even as a young person, as I said already. And so, so parents, think, just cultivate, cultivate a love and passion for God's word in your hearts and lives now, both for what it will do for you, but obviously, of course, what it will also do for your, for your kids. Many years ago, I read through this psalm uh, to look for any of, any of the 176 verses that did not have a direct reference to God's word, which in the psalm uh, is referenced uh, things like uh, the, uh, the, uh, the law of the Lord, testimonies, precepts, uh, commandments, those kinds of words. I could only find four out of the 176. I found that interesting. It's a psalm. It's a psalm that elevates the word of God. So, for these characteristics of passion, confidence, and obedience to become a part of our spiritual DNA, there, there's no better place to park than in this psalm. And so, let's look first at the characteristic that we see in this psalm very, very much, the passion for the word. Dictionary.com defines uh, passion as a strong or extravagant fondness, enthusiasm, or desire for something. I ask you to consider how that definition aligns with your heart's depth of love for God's Word. Think about that for a moment. Extravagant fondness. Extravagant enthusiasm or desire for. My friends, I want to grow in that kind of heart passion for God's Word. Because I know it will lead me closer to the heart of Jesus in my relationship with him. I, I want that in my life. I, I hope you do as well. Passion for the word of God is so clearly expressed throughout this psalm. And one of the verses, at, verse 97, is a great example. He just simply says, oh, how? And I can, you can hear the psalmist. You can hear the expression and the depth of meaning when he says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Wow. He didn't live in the kind of culture we lived in. Wow, it's easy to be distracted, isn't it? But in the stress of a moment, when we know God's word, ask the Holy Spirit to bring it to mind, to, to, to buoy us up, to, to, to lean on it for wisdom. Whatever the situation in a chaotic, frenetic pace of life and of our minds, the word of God, passion for the word of God can reshape how we live through that and in that. I like the message paraphrase of this same verse. Oh, how I love all you've revealed. I reverently ponder it all day long. Extravagant desire is what drives the psalmist to not merely read the word, but also to learn the discipline of meditation upon the word of God, which simply means slowing down. Oh, it's good to, to, to read long, you know, big passages. Read the Bible through in a year. I encourage you to do that if you haven't. But important also, 
to slow down so that we can, that we can prayerfully ponder God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to identify ways that he wants us to apply it to our life. Not just reading it over quickly uh, as, as, as most of us do sometimes, whether it's a small passage or longer. The example of a cow chewing its cut. Is that on the screen? Don't you love that? It's an illustration, did you know, of Bible meditation. The cow gets every ounce of nourishment out of every blade of grass, chews it, sends it down to stomach number one, brings it up again, chews it some more, sends it down to stomach number two, brings it up again, and the process continues. It's not pretty, as you can see, but it's a good illustration for what Biblical meditation is. Meditation on scripture is. In terms of us receiving spiritual nourishment. Chewing it. Thinking about it. Praying over it. Rereading it. Reading it in several different uh, translations. God, open this truth to my life. Meditation. Slow down. Even if it's a phrase some morning. Maybe it's a whole verse probably has to be in fairly small chunks to do that, right? Otherwise, you get reprimanded for stuffing too much in your mouth at once. Psalm 119.20 clearly communicates passion and desire for God's word. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Literally, the original idea is I am shattered. I am crushed by the intensity of my longing. Wow. If you had to choose one thing that you said you was your deepest longing, what would it be? Just think about that for a moment. What would it be? What would those things be? Where would the Word of God honestly line up in that list of things in response to that question? Charles Spurgeon, 18th, uh, 19th century English preacher, said that heart longings are prophecies of what a man, what a woman, will be. Hmm. So then what are the things that you really long for? That you, that you set, that, that your heart is set on or that you choose to set your heart on. If our deepest longings are for things, more and better stuff, well, we know the outcome will very quickly become materialistic, which in this culture is quite, quite easy. Verse 127 in the New Living says, truly, I love your commands more than gold, even the finest gold. The writer says, I mean, gold is nice. Fine gold is nicer because it's more pure, more valuable. But the writer points out that his love for God's word does not even begin to compare to something like fine gold. What are those things in your life that you need to Draw that comparison to deepen your passion for God's word. And you got to love verse 35 of this psalm. He says, direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Delight. We may feel like that delight in God's word doesn't come naturally. And you know what? Actually, it doesn't come naturally, typically. But, but it's very possible to have true delight for God's word if we allow the spirit of God to stir that in us as we as we commit to engage with his word daily songwriter and worship leader many years ago Steve Fry 
challenged me. I was a young youth pastor at the time at a, at a worship leadership conference, uh, and, and he said, why can't a love for God's Word cause us to read it, not just in our devotional times, but to enjoy reading it in our times of leisure as well? Hmm, simple idea, but not likely the case for many of us, right? Imagine if we, if we came to view God's word like verse 162 in this psalm expresses. I'm ecstatic over what you say, like one who strikes it rich. It's the message paraphrase of that verse. Love it. Here's the prayer expression. And I want you to read this out loud together if you can do so with integrity. If you want God to stir a growing passion for his word in your life. I want this prayer expression to be read Stated, and it's a prayer to God right now, together, out loud with me. God, please bring me to the place where passion fills my heart for your truth, where I literally cannot survive without time in your word every day. Yeah, do that, God. Do that, Lord. Confidence in the word of God. We're talking this morning from a Christ follower's perspective, someone who loves God and knows his character and thus has confidence in his written word. Of course, we know that some people have no confidence in uh, the the word of God, in the Bible, as, as being from God, and sometimes even ridicule anyone who would suggest that it's a book that they can have confidence in. A skeptic may say, well, the Bible is translated poorly. And sadly, that's often where You know, that that conversation sadly sometimes comes to a a screeching halt because some Christians don't know how to respond. Friends, Christian friends, there there are many great resources to equip ourselves for conversations like that. But the next time, the next time someone says that to you, maybe you can just simply ask them, can you give me an example of that? It's a fair question. The burden of proof, right? In many cases, they probably won't be able to point something out because often I believe they're they're just parroting, repeating something they've heard but haven't looked into it and they're using it sometimes, maybe many times, I don't know, as a a smokescreen to keep God at at a distance. And if they do cite something as an example, you don't have to be afraid. It's not like you have to, you know, give a rebuttal or a response on the spot. You can listen graciously and we must to what they have to say and respond with something like, well, that's very interesting. I want to look into that. Let's, let's, let's connect again and, and talk. And then, then you've got your work cut out for you, right, in study. In these situations, uh, digging into truth like that will bolster your own confidence in God's Word. I've experienced that over the years. And if you say you're going to reconnect, you're going to study and look into it and reconnect and try to engage intelligently in that discussion, then, then you, you know, better follow through. Be sure you do. I want you to watch this two-minute clip. Why should I trust the Bible? Why should I trust the Bible? For too long, far too many Christians, when asked about why we believe what we believe, have responded because the Bible says so. The problem with this answer, of course, is that it makes no sense until and unless we can first establish the credibility of the Bible. Why should we trust it? Well, there are at least three reasons why. Firstly, peer review. And this is how many documents, even today, are evaluated for their trustworthiness. 
To what degree are other writers citing the document and to what degree are those writers being cited themselves? We can establish through this a web of legitimacy or a failure to prove a web of legitimacy. In the Bible, when we look across the 66 books of the Judeo-Christian scriptures, we see more than 16,000 examples of internal cross-references and citations. More than 16,000 examples of one part of the Bible referring to another part of the Bible. Another verse, another chapter, another book. Secondly, the manuscript evidence. There are two important factors here. How many of the earliest manuscript copies or fragments do we have? And how close to the events that they claim to depict were they written? Here again, the New Testament scriptures alone score incredibly with more than 20,000 examples of manuscripts and fragments of manuscripts, some of which were written within 100 years of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, Sir Frederick G. Kenyon, former director and principal librarian of the British Museum, famously remarked that both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as finally established. Thirdly and finally, the explanatory power of the Bible. C.S. Lewis famously said, I do not believe in Christianity just because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And herein lies the great practical and spiritual power of the Bible. It makes sense of our hearts, it makes sense of our experience, and it makes sense of our world. It is an instrument of diagnosis as much as anything else. The explanatory power of the Christian Bible proves why we should trust it. Various apologists have said correctly, truth stands up to scrutiny. And we can have confidence in the Word of God in any situation because the Word of God proceeds directly from the heart and mind of God, who is absolutely just, who is completely pure, who is all-wise and unquestionably loving. And so His written Word will stand up to scrutiny and, and has for centuries, actually. And if you are seeking you're here in person, you're engaging online, and you've got questions about this very thing, uh, let me know. And there's, again, resources that will help you in that honest search that you're on. I want to encourage you in that. Way to go. Keep asking those questions. Being ridiculed because of our stand for Christ does not need to shake our confidence. Verse 42 of Psalm 119, I can answer those who taunt me, for I trust in your word. And something or rather, sometimes the, the answer back should not be words, but deeds of kindness that can speak louder than words at times. And in all of this, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to, uh, to, to guide our responses, right, in those situations. I can have confidence in the Word because in the Word there's God's wisdom. Wisdom right from God. Verse 98 and 99. You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. Many of you already know that there is wisdom in God's Word for, for family situations, for a, a loose tongue, for a, a wandering mind. Uh, for, there are, there, there's uh, assistance, there's, there's, uh, there's help for guidance in all kinds of life decisions. You see, as we plant God's Word in our heart and mind, our confidence in it will grow because we'll increasingly see that His Word Gives us comfort in times of trouble, stability in times of decision-making, uh, spiritual fortification where, where we face temptation. We will see God's Word continuing to take its rightful place as the solid foundation of our life. 
Here's the prayer expression. I want you, again, to, to speak this out loud with me. God, may my confidence in your word increase as I give opportunity for it to influence and lead my life. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And thirdly, obedience to the word of God. Here's a key thought. Obedience to God's word is an important commitment for a disciple of Jesus to make because obedience to God's word is obedience to God himself since this is from him. Makes sense. It's not enough to simply profess an incredible love for or even a confidence in the word of God. There must be, there must be, and by God's enablement, by the work of the Holy Spirit and empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there must be active obedience to God's word. The psalm writer makes a commitment, and that's what consistent obedience uh, involves, commitment. In verse 34, he says, give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. You see, the the heart, you know, is is the center of our being, and from our heart come our emotions, our thoughts, our our motivations, and ultimately uh, our action. See Psalm, sorry, Proverbs 4, 23, the importance of guarding our heart, because everything we are and do comes from it. So it's no mistake that when we want to indicate that something is done with every ounce of our being, we say that it's done with our whole heart, and that's how the writer wants to obey God's word. We need to begin viewing, uh, walking in obedience to God's word as, as a life of liberty and joy that it is, rather than, you know, these ideas that come probably with, for many of us, the, the restrictive obligation. No, no, it's, it's, there's liberty there. There's joy there. Here's how the writer in Psalm 119 describes the benefits in four particular verses. Uh, and again, if you want some of these specific verses, you can go through and highlight the ones that jump out at you, or if you missed the ones I'm sharing today, let me know. But verse 25, in God's word, there's new life. There's new life. In verse 28, in God's word, there's strength from God that we all need. Verse 50, there's, there's comfort in affliction. Verse 105, who doesn't want a lamp to light their path when there's darkness all around, right? That's God's word. You really need to spend time going through this song. Here's the prayer expression for this uh, aspect of obedience. And, and again, if you want to grow in your obedience to God, speak this prayer right now out loud together with me. God, may our obedience to your word come as a natural overflow of our love for and confidence in your precious and powerful written word. Asking God to cultivate in our hearts a passion for, a confidence in, obedience to God's word will lead to a vibrant, and deepening walk with Christ that I know so many of you want. It feels hard, doesn't it, sometimes, to grow that direction? It's okay. Yeah, it is. It is. But what we're talking about here, building our lives on the Word of God and spending time with the Word of God is so, so fundamental, non-negotiable for that kind of living to be the case. And it, of course, also will help us be 
in response to Jesus wanting us to be salt and light in the world, again, non-negotiable. So start asking God to, to grow your love for his word and press into engaging with God's word so he has opportunity to do so. If we're asking God to grow a love for his word in our hearts, but we're not engaging to, to, to even just read it, you know, he's, he's probably going, well, come on, get at it, right? The word of God is amazing, truly. Many of you know that. I'm inspired by many of your, that I'm aware of, your commitment to, to the Word of God. This psalm repeatedly reminds us of what many of you already know, that God's Word, number one, is worthy of my love and passion. Verse 161 in this psalm, my heart stands in awe of your Word, that verse says. And secondly, God's Word can be confidently trusted. Verse 42 says, I can answer those who taunt me, for I trust in your word, and God's word is worthy of my total obedience. Verse 60, I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. <laughs> Not now, but right now. Help me, God. Help me, God. Very basic, simple message. If you've been a Christian any length of time, a follower of Christ, you've heard a challenge like this. You've felt, as you've read the word yourself, you've felt the Spirit of God challenge you to engage deeper and in a more consistent pattern with the Word of God. And yes, it's easy to get derailed, but don't give up. My Christian friends, don't give up. And in these moments of response, as we conclude, and to give you an opportunity to, to, to confess what you might call failure, or and failure's okay because it's from failure that we learn and we grow, Right? But you, you maybe need to confess a cold heart that you've had toward the Word of God as a Christ follower. I want to give you a moment to talk to God about that. And then I want to pray that you would commit to God's Word. Commit to love and confidence in and obedience too. And part of that commitment is a little homework assignment. You know what it is already. 22 days, 8 verses a day, slowly slowly, prayerfully pondering through this psalm, words from God that, that elevate his word, that points us to Jesus. Bow your heads with me in prayer. If there's something about your commitment and follow through in reading and meditating God, on God's word in this moment, I ask you just to talk to God about that. Say, God, help me. God, forgive me for my for my lack of discipline. I confess that to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. I want to love your word. I want to grow in your word. I want to know your word. I want to obey your word. I want to have confidence in your word. I help that to grow in my life, in my mind. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for each one that is here today, each one that is engaging online, that is hearing this message from Psalm 119. Lord, draw us all in deeper ways to your precious and powerful word so that we might know you deeper, so that we might be strengthened in how we live our faith in this world that's so desperately need you.
Thank you, Jesus. My friend, if you're here and you do not know Christ personally, there's no better decision you can make today than to say, God, thank you. I realize you love me so much. You sent your son. Jesus, thank you for coming to the cross for me. I place my trust in you. I want you to be, I ask you to be, God, the forgiver of my sin so that I can know you personally and eternally, the the leader of my life, because you know best. You created me. And I surrender my life to you now. Turn from my old ways. Forgive my sin. I pray in Jesus' name.